the failure rate of diverse show is very small. So tell me there's a reason not to have us represented because there is absolutely none. Before they get in your business, be in charge of your business. Own it cause it's your business, your business, business. Handle all of your business, value all of your business. You say you're mine in your business, my business. What's up, what's up, good people? Welcome into Montgomery and Company. All right, listen, it's going to be jam-packed every week, so get used to it. Whopper shows every week. And we're starting out with Lorella Kubaj, who, if you guys keep up with WNBA News, we recently had to release her because she's going to the European Championships, which she's going to tell us all about coming up soon. And then we also have, I know y'all know Transformers is dropping this week. We got the star of the show, the lead actor, Anthony Ramos, coming on to talk to us. And not only that, but we have Anna Valdez, who's going to come over and talk about representation for Latinos in film. We made it all make sense, okay? Tap in, we're turning up. Let's go! All right, so I told you guys that we have a lot going on, but first I want to talk about my past couple days. So recently I did an NIL summit at the Georgia Football Hall of Fame, and the summit was exactly what it was, like name, image, and likeness. I was on a panel with Anna. Oh, Anna. It's like there's a lot of Annas flying around here. I was on a panel with Anna, and I was on a panel with Brandon Copeland, JJ, who was a former NFL player, and we basically were talking about not only building your brand, but building the wealth that attaches to that brand. And then like building off of if you don't even have any of that yet, because it's all good to say, yeah, like when you make money, make sure you do the right things with it and make sure you invest and make sure you take care of it. But what if you're not making money? Like what if you're trying to start building your brand? And so it just made me think about like, there's so many, we talk about athletes as a whole thing, one big thing, but there's the 2% of athletes that are going to get a majority of the deals. There's the 2% of athletes that are going to go pro from college. There's always that 2% and a lot more people need to focus on the 98% because the 98% is your common athlete. It's the athlete that loves the sport, gives everything to the sport, prioritizes it, and then what happens when you can no longer play that sport or what happens when you can't keep going to the next level of your sport? Everybody wants to go pro, but only 2% of athletes go pro. So that was a whole conversation that was about that 98%. And I think that people need to start thinking about that 98% more, not saying you shouldn't strive to be the 2% because while you're a part of the group, there's no question that you should strive to be the top 2% of whatever group you're in. However, if you don't make it, what's the plan then? Have you done enough that, you know, you built your connections, you've networked because, you know, we were talking, Brandon Copeland says something that was dope. He was like, look, you have a front row seat. We were talking to student athletes and he said, you have a front row seat to business being done at the highest level. Think about universities. Think about pro sports teams. These are billion-dollar businesses. The commanders just sold $6.8 billion. So you think they're not doing business at the highest level? Now, I'm not saying that are they doing the most moral businesses. I'm not talking about are they employing the right people. I'm not talking about all those things, but I'm talking about organizationally, they're functioning at the highest levels because they're 
dealing with big business. And so we were just trying to open up the student athletes minds that everybody focuses on the 2%, even the media, even the WNBA, we're going to have a lot of WNBA media members come on the show soon and just be talking about what's going on in the WNBA world, WNBA news. But even in the WNBA media, there's a push right now to have more stories told about more athletes, not just that 2% of athletes, more stories about, Oh, what about this role player? You know, like I have no problem saying I was a role player. There were times where I was a star on the team, but there were very much so times where I was a role player. And guess what? I was good at it. I was six woman of the year type good in my role. That's how serious I took my role. But we got to lean into what's wrong with that. Like what's wrong with being a star at whatever your role is? Like I I really like I think that we got to start thinking different because what if you start to own your space? and own whatever it is that you do best. That's how these content creators become famous. They specialize in one thing, or you know that that Corey is going to review all the games. So I want to go see what Corey has to think about these games. You start to just carve out your little space. That could be in the workplace too, because you know always sports is life. And so that could be in the workplace. That could be anywhere you are. Carve out your space. Everybody ain't the 2%. We all ain't Beyonce. We're not all Rihanna. We're not all Asia Wilson. We're not all these people. We're not all Ryan Howard. But carve out your space because there are role players and there are and you can do your role well and exceed at it. And speaking of that, so we're going to start now and get it popping. Um, because as you guys know, with MoCo on the go, we're going to be bringing you a lot of conversations that we had with, with our Atlanta dream players. And one of these players recently, now she's no longer with our team because she has overseas obligations. And if people aren't following WNBA, I don't know how you listen to me. I'm not even going to say that anymore, but you guys know that overseas basketball on the women's side is huge, the same as the men's side. And sometimes there's obligations that take players away from the team. And that's what happened with Lorella Kubage. But I talked to her about just look at the international game and how it's evolving, you know, like, and, and what's going on. For instance, the European championships, you may not know what that is. And since you may not know what it is, I asked Lorella to explain it. Lorella? So the European Championships is like uh, like the final championship for the best like teams uh, in Europe. So it's like France, Spain, Italy, maybe Germany or like other countries. And we just battle like 16 teams and it's like four uh, different groups and we just uh, measure against each other. And then we'll see, like this year is important because, you know, we there is like the Olympics uh, battle. So. Um, we have to qualify for that and you know it's just like it's, it's just really competitive and yeah it's just a good competition you know okay you may not have known what the European Championship was which is why I had her explain it to you and we're going to talk more to Lorella in a second but think about that there's these tournaments happening when you look at the NBA and you see these players that are at the top of their game Giannis the Joker Luca, you name it there was a time where it was unheard of that international players will be at the top of of the American game. It used to be in a sense that we thought USA basketball was, you know, heavy in these streets for a lack of better term. And in the women's side of the game, it's still very much so that it's not saying that in the international game hasn't caught up on the women's side, but right now, as of right now, as I'm saying this on the women's side, the women's players, dominate the international game you know like there's not very many 
players like there's great international players though don't get me wrong but if you're talking about the best of the best if you're talking about uh Giannis Antetokounmpo who was voted by his peers as one of the best players in the NBA I think that if that same questionnaire was asked to the WNBA players I would think that it's going to be an American player now I wanted to find out though you know from Lorella's mindset, because she grew up and seeing how that training was different and different things of that nature, I wanted to pick her brain and just figure out, like, you know, what does she think about how the international game is catching up and will it catch up on the women's side? Alexis Morris was a starting point guard, as we know, for the championship team, and she talked about the transition from college to pro, but you played in the European circuit and different things. So has that helped your transition, you think, when it came to the pro style game? Yes, I think I think a little bit. Yes, of course, uh, there is there are some differences between the American pro style of playing and the European pro style of playing, but definitely helped me a little bit because I had to play with people that were like older than me, more experienced mm -hmm. than me. So definitely that part uh, definitely helped. For and sure. what do you think some of those differences are? Because like uh, probably, I played overseas, too, so I know that it's Different, but a lot of people may not know. Yeah, like I feel like uh, here is way more physical uh, in some aspects and more fast. Uh, it's, there's more like tactics sometimes. You just like play slower, but you know, just like play the play kind of. Yeah. Here is more aggressive, like go to the basket, just like run and like, you know, physical. And yeah, I mean, I love both styles of playing, so. That's the thing about sports. Every athlete knows that if you ain't working, somebody else is. And that's kind of what happened with the international game, you know, like not to say that we aren't working here on the state side, but people are working. And if they're working harder than you, then they're going to have bigger leaps and bounds than you. So, man, get to work. That's that's see, that's my athlete fear. It's like these are the things why athletes like obsess and go to the gym all the time because it's like you ain't about to outwork me. All right, but I digress. Listen, coming up next, we have Anna Valdez. And no, I'm not talking about Angela Valdez from Power because we all know we love that show. But we have Anna Valdez coming on, the president and CEO of the Latino Donor Collaborative. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Miss Anna Valdez, LDC president and CEO. And so for people that may not know about LDC, what is that? Absolutely. So we are a think tank and we're a think tank that create data that shows that Latino being underrepresented is bad business. So, of course, it's the wrong thing to do. It's not right. We should get our fair representation. But more importantly, everybody loses. So the data shows that because Latinos keep growing and because 
because they are, you know, such a large part of the population, 19% of the population. Um, if you don't have Latinos, you really are missing one out of the, you know, out of every five possible business opportunities. Hmm. And so that's what we do. We're, we're a think tank action tank. That's crazy that you say think tank because we have a production company, Serena Grace, my wife and I started a production company called Think Tank Productions because we believe in the power of collective thought and ideas and different things of that nature. So like-mindedness we've already and just to catch everybody up we've already connected on tv shows right so i, I told her her name is <laughs> anna valdez and i had to tell her that she reminded me of the name angela valdez we all know ghost boo boo in the show power on stars but <laughs> but then she told me that she was like thinking of that show power she was like there's a show called the power that's on prime if you guys haven't checked it out check it out sorry i had to catch all up on that but i digress but we're actually it actually kind of connects to what i want to talk to you about because you know you we talked about the ldc and you're the ceo and president and a report from the latino donor collaborative found that shows like law and order svu as well as movies like lightyear and ant-man and the wasp the representation for Latinos is not accurate at all. And so I like to stick to the facts whenever I talk to people about sports, because, you know, women's sports, we like to stick to the facts. So what things can you say that are sticking to the facts about, you know, elaborating on that report? Right. So first of all, you know, as, 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 as I was saying, bad business when you're completely ignoring a population that is growing, right? Uh, Latinos are 19% of the population, 25% of the young people, because we are a very, very small uh, young community. So 25% of all the people um, less than 18 years old are Latinos. Can you imagine not programming for them, not telling their stories, not engaging them as audience? Because that's why Latinos are going to TikTok and YouTube and all those other places where they can actually create and watch their stories, right? So, you know, the um, entertainment industry, you know, going down in so many ways, and I feel bad for them, you know, Wall Street complaining that all of the big companies are not performing well, et cetera. And they just don't even include Latinos, which could be a solution, at least one of the many solutions um, to to increase their, their, their productivity. And so what we do with our report is show that if Latinos are 19 percent of the population and they only have 2.8 percent of the roles and the stories, um, that can be a big part of the problem. Right. Decreasing. And more importantly, as I said before, Latinos keep growing. Right. Right now they are 19. But then, um, you know, according to every uh, report, Latinos will contribute with at least 70 percent of all the new workforce in the next years. Mm. So, I mean, it's just kind of silly. Sometimes I go to examples like Pampers, right, like Procter and Gamble. All those ads, they're beautiful white babies. We love them. But at the same time, they don't have one little brown baby that could show who is actually buying the Pampers, right? Uh, of all the kids being born today, 30% are Latinos. Plus, of course, African American. And, you know, we honestly are the people that are feeding that industry. And nobody looks like us in those ads. And nobody looks like those in in uh, in, in shows that where they are advertising. So that's what we're doing. We're kind of calling to the attention, not only of programmers who should be doing their job well, but also to shareholders and stakeholders that are really missing the boat and leaving a lot of money on the table uh, for this lack of representation. Okay, so the new Transformers movie comes out tomorrow. 
tomorrow. And Renee and I got to see it a little early last week. And it, I loved it. I mean, of course, the movie was great and everything. But what I loved about it is that it, it, it was representation at its core. It had Anthony Ramos, who and he, he was showing his Puerto Rican flag. And it was giving me all the Puerto Rican vibes that I didn't know that I wanted, but that I needed. And of course, it had Dominique Fish back. And, and you know, it starts with having a Black director wanting to put those minority roles as leading roles, not just supporting roles. So, yeah, I loved it. Shouts to Anthony Ramos. We are having the Puerto Rican poppy coming on the show later. He's the star of the new movie Transformers, Rise of the Beast. But I'm curious, Anna, in your opinion, realistically, what is it going to take to get representation change in Hollywood? I was lucky enough to speak at the graduation of Santa Monica High School. And, you know, it's the largest high school in Southern California. I mean, literally, I think there were more than 2,500 kids graduating. It's a college, what you mean? Exactly. No, it's crazy. It's crazy. So, you know, one of the speakers was so bright. He opened like that. He opened saying, because, of course, most of those kids, as you can imagine, Southern California were minorities, right? And he's like, first of all, don't let anybody tell you majority that you're minorities because you're not minorities anymore. You're driving the growth. You're, you know, creating the babies. You're like, you're, you're doing what we do, right? Which is being the best in the, in the world. Thanks to those kids. So yes, to your point, Renee, we are not minorities anymore. And then second, um, you know, how are we, how are we going to do it? Well, first of all, educating people like you're doing, like you're having me, like I'm creating the data. Like we all are spreading the word. We're ambassadors of this data. Second is bring up, I think that that's why we do this, because we want to bring up the business part of it. You know, we have a saying that when minorities succeed, America grows. And this is exactly it. It's like a, like a complete uh, virtuous circle that people that don't include us are actually missing. Then the third is speaking out. And we have to learn from a lot of other communities that speak out really well. Latinos, I have to confess, mea culpa, our culpa. You know, it's we don't speak up. We need to speak up. We need to get together with people that speak up really well. I mean, I, I think that, you know, at the African-American community, the Indian community, there are communities that are really verbal. We need to learn from it because Latinos are not helping by being quiet. We're actually bringing everybody down by being quiet. We need to bring everybody up by adding our voices, loud voices to this conversation. And that's what we want to do with these numbers. Um, and then, of course, Use the power of your purse. We need to teach our people to use the power of our purse. Because if we stop buying pampers that don't have babies that look like us, that advertise in shows that don't have us, then they'll really listen. But but how do you do that collectively, though? Okay, so like you're saying it now, but like... How do you do that in the real terms? Like you could use your voice for, let's say, the directors and stuff. But if there's a certain group that's the ones that are greenlighting the projects, like I remember 50 Cent just posted that, you know, every room he goes in to pitch one of his ideas, no one looks like him. And he all and he's getting a lot of no's and rejections. And this is 50 Cent, the rapper and speaking of the show stars and ghosts. But that's that's a real reality. If you're not the ones that can greenlight the project. What's a realistic solution? I think, Snook, you were going to say something. I just like to know what how she felt about the responses she got about the information and the data that she shared with them. How receptive were they to that? So you show this information and they go, oh, my God, that's true. And thank God, don't tell anybody because my board will fire me if they find out. Literally, I'm I'm quoting, guys, I promise you, I'm quoting. My board will fire me if they know that I'm missing 20 percent of my customers. That's what they say. So then then, of course, the second part starts, which is then we have to they ask us to help 
if you may, educate their C-suite, right? And then exactly to what you were saying, Renee, the people that are making decisions. There is so much reaction, and I'm going to be very blunt here, on from the entitlement of this C-suite that has been there forever, that were born there, that had never had to honestly fight too much for it because it's like, no, but no, I've never done it. So that means I'm, you know, I, I know how to do it. You're going to tell me how to do my job? Yes, we're going to tell you how to do your job. When CEOs actually back us up, people start making decisions. When they start tying their performance bonus at the end of the year to the level of diversity that they provided, you know, that's when, so the CEO has the power to actually change the performance of their green lighters that Renee's talking about. Now, if it's like, we need to do it because it's the right thing to do, nobody will do anything. Nobody, that's what I was about to say. Nobody, nobody's about to do or change or give up power, give up more money, give up more representation for the goodness of their heart. That's what I was trying to get at. Like, I mean, because we see the same thing in women's sports, you know, like we have to smack people with the facts. Like we have to smack people with the numbers. Oh, there were 9.9 million viewers. What were you saying again? Like we have to use the stats and the facts to get it. So that's what I was trying to get to because if we just are waiting on people to do it because it's probably the right thing to do. Yeah. We're about to be waiting for a while. Hold your breath because you know what? Nobody gives up their entitled power that they kind of, and, and you know what? And again, I'm being blunt. The people that know clearly that they basically didn't do anything to be there except do their homework. I mean, like, and their homework, like their basic homework are the ones that don't, that I want to give up the power the least. Something similar, it's happening, and please forgive me for bringing this up, but it's happening in Mexico. So there's this new president that is actually saying, you know, everybody matters. It's not only the 1%. And it's so interesting how that 1% is reacting in the most crazy way, in the most in mature way, it's all these tantrums that are happening politically. And of course, you know, and again, like here, right? Media is involved and, you know, it, so, so going back to, to, um, to the entertainment business here, it's, it, there's, there are tantrums. I mean, literally there are tantrums and there are people that are really holding to the door frame saying, no, no, not yet. Yes. I know maybe next year I have to do it, but right now I, I, I don't, I'm not going to do it this year. So how can we do it? I, in, in our opinion, the, the times when we've been more effective is talking to the head of the studio, the head of the network, the head of, you know, the, the broadcast, you know, channel, whatever it is, and then say, you know, you need to be intentional. And intentional means, again, tying bonus, tying performance evaluation, uh, measuring, you know, in your procurement, in your uh, casting, in your the agencies, right? The three agencies that are that are really feeding um, the casting of most of the shows. What are those three agencies? CAA, uh-huh. WME, okay. and UTA. And those three are feeding 70 to 80% of all the main roles. Wow. 
I mean, think about that. Not and and just in full disclosure, I'm signed to WME, so that's that's my agent. Well, you're you're at least in the right door. Yeah, thank you, (laughs) thank you. Shouts to the squad. What up, Rob? Like, yeah, like they're one of the the top agencies, and and so I'm because you have to figure out, like, you know, we can talk and talk and talk. You know, like everybody can talk. We talk about women's sports all the time here and how lit it is, but you also have to get some results. And so sometimes after you talk and talk and talk, you do get results. But what I was seeing in the report is that sometimes when those roles are filled, there's a stereotype that's attached to that role that may not be accurately portrayed. Can you elaborate on that part of the report? You know, Ananda Dichi, right? I mean, you know, the Nigerian uh, writer, right? And she has the fifth most watched TED Talk in the history of TED Talk. And it's called The Tragedy of the Single Story. And she talks about how, you know, she was a writer in Nigeria. She'd never gone out of Nigeria. And she was writing about white Christmases and lovely, you know, um, you know, poinsettias in Christmas. And she had never seen the snow. And she was like, that's because I was a victim of the tragedy of the single story, right? I was reading the big ones, you know, Shakespeare and, you know, all these things. No application and no relation to her real life. And when she actually was able to get out of Nigeria and come here to the United States to study, uh, she realized she had a fantastic story. She had thousands of stories that were worth telling. And she's an incredibly prolific writer. And she has, you know, brought up a lot of attention to this tragedy of the single story. And, you know, she um, she mentions that when she used to, you know, she met this person and I don't remember who it was, but he said, I'm sorry that in Nigeria men are so abusive. And she turned around and she said, you know what? I'm sorry that in America all men are or men are killers. And and the white person said, oh, my God, why do you say that? It's like, oh, because I read the story of Charles Manson. Mm. And people were like, you know, yes, just because there is one killer in a society or one abusive father in one of the stories that you read from Nigeria, that doesn't mean everybody is that. Right. So out of the two point six, you know, percent of of uh, of shows where there's a lead that is Latino, half of it are negative. So narcos. Mayan Semsi, Queen of the South, all these horrible stereotypes. And then the other one, and this is the part where they're missing the boat because it happens for every community that is called minority. Of the other 1.3% left, they are huge hits. So you have Wednesday, which is the number one show for Netflix. Yes. You have Last of Us, which is the number one show for HBO. You have, um, you know, Will Trent, the number one show for ABC. And I can tell you one after the next one, right? And so imagine if these people that are making decisions did proportionately represent us. 19% of their freaking shows could be amazing. That's when I'm, what I'm talking about, expanding the pie and not getting anybody else's slice. It's like, imagine, right? And it's the same in the African-American community. It's the same in the Asian community. We are talent that brings, so it's not only, you know, let's make it about the audience. It's only make it about the talent and the stories of our talent are amazing. I want to see, you know, I've, I've watched Wakanda 150,000 times, one and two, right? Because we want to see those stories. I, you know, the list of the top movies streamed in 2022 just came out about three weeks ago. Number one, Encanto. This is the craziest thing. In the 10, number nine was Coco. Coco is seven years old and people are still streaming it. Wow. 
So our talent, when it's left, you know, to perform, overperforms. And we have, and then another number that is really controversial, but it's a number which I love because it's based on facts. The failure rate of non-diverse show is humongous. Hmm. The failure rate of diverse show is very small. So tell me, there's a reason not to have us represented because there is absolutely none. You just dropped the mic on us. That's Anna Valdez, LDC <laughs> president and CEO. Thank you for coming on here and dropping some knowledge. As you know, like my wife is Serena Grace and she's in of the Latino community of Dominican. Viva Dominican. Yes, let's go. <laughs> Sue mommy, all of that. You know, I know she on mommy, she on Tia, all of that. Those are, that's the world I live in. But, you know, like diversity, we are like, we know it in the front office that that's a key in sports, having diverse front offices. And there's like, there's all kinds of reports that say it even in the office that having a diverse office yields higher rewards. So we know it. So now that we all know better, let's do better. Thank you so much for joining yes, us. Anna. Thanks for having me, you guys. It's Serena. Yay. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me and um, invite me anytime. I'll be so happy to come back. you guys i'm hyped because y'all know that transformers rise of the beast is coming out tomorrow well we have the lead actor anthony ramos coming on and i'm telling you right now i've seen the movie it's like good good it's like uh you know how they say sequels aren't as good as the prequels and sequels aren't good i'm not saying all that i don't know watch it for yourself but i love the movie anthony ramos coming up next Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. singer, songwriter, and star of the new movie Transformers Rise of the Beast out June 9th. Anthony Ramos, welcome to the show. I'm trying to tell you you're cooking. Thanks for having me. No, I'm hyped. Let's go. I'm, I'm telling you, so we're fans in this household. My son watches Hamilton faithfully. My wife is a Dominican from New York, so come on now. You just know she loved in the Heights, so we're excited to get going, though. But honestly, I'm always excited because, like, you you look mad. How old are you? You look mad young because you're I'm only saying that because you're rolling right now. Is that a thing in Hollywood? Don't ask it, but I'm just saying you're rolling and you've been a part of like major projects, now Transformers. So what even gets you excited about a role? Is it the script, who's starring in it, the franchise? Cause you've had some amazing roles so far in your career. Yeah, no, nah, I'm, you know, I'm 31. Wow. You know, I'm excited. I'm, you know, I'm pumped about it's, you know, the roles, the story is always for me the, the, the most important thing. It's like, what are we saying? What is the potential of what we can say? Sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll do a movie and the script is not, 
I won't look for like a finished, like complete story. Like I won't be like, oh my gosh, this is the best script I ever read. Is is there enough here where we can improve this? You know, where we can turn this? Because it's also like if you have a collaborative director. You know, I've been a part of movies where the script looked like one thing when we started, but it, it come, you know, it looked like a different thing when we finished. You know, uh, and and I think that I mean almost on every film I've ever done. So that's normal, like that. You just get a script, and then what happens? Like the day of the set, like do you deliver it different? And they're like, oh, I like that, or like how does that come about where it changes? Well, we rehearse sometimes. Sometimes I'll be like, you know, when we're in rehearsal, we like, you know what? Maybe if we do it this way. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe maybe if I say this, maybe if I say these lines this way, this might be better. Or, you know, sometimes we'll be on set and I'm like, yo, this line is not really hitting, man. Like, and I'll be thinking about it, thinking about it, and be like, you know what? What if we cut this line here, we put this one here, and then I'll just say something this right here instead of what's written? You know, and then the director will be like, okay, yeah, dope. That's crazy. I mean, you basically directed a little bit, too. And I know that's kind of like how the maturation happens. You know, I was talking to Michael B. Jordan. He was like, look, I already do it with my part. So when Creed 3 happened, I felt like I could step into that role. So is that like kind of the maturation of actors where you just start to do that yourself? Yeah. I mean, when you, you know, you work, you start working on enough scripts, you start to, and you also, it's also like life, right? You start to realize that, you know, when you're having a conversation with, with someone, you know, most of the time we're paying attention to the whatever the meat of the conversation is, right? Whatever the how, how do you just get straight to the point, right? You know, and it's basically like you only got an hour and fifty minutes, hour and a half to hour and fifty minutes in a movie to tell this story. There's no time to dance around what you're trying to say or trying to find your way to what you're trying to say. That's what rehearsal's for, right? You 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 dance around what you're trying to say until you figure out what you want to say, and then you just say that. You cut everything else around it. That's getting in the way of you just getting straight to the point. I love that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like Because you got you got to get to the point. Every scene, you got to get to the point. Get straight to it. I mean, no, and that makes sense because it's even like right now, look, I got 24 minutes. I'm going to get right to it with you in a yeah. sense of I'm going to get right to it. And you have a, like, you act along like mega stars. And even another star, Dominique Fishback, is who on fire right now, coming off a of swarm. That went crazy. So, what was it like filming Transformers? Then you're cutting up the scenes and you're talking about rehearsal. What's it like almost doing that dance alongside another star like Dominique Fishback? Well, I mean, when you work with someone like that, you know. Dom's always thinking about everything. Like you got to see her notes. Like she makes me feel like a like a failure <laughs> at life. I'm like, yo, like you just look at her notes, the way she breaks down scripts. You know, like we just have two different ways of working. You know, I'm very like a lot, especially a lot of my ideas will come in rehearsal or they'll come in like, you know, uh sometimes when I'm reading a script by myself, the ideas won't come as quickly as when I'm reading it out loud with a cat with a castmate or whether we're when we're doing it on set and i'll be like oh shit, you know what we actually don't even need those three lines because if i'm gonna walk right here already or if i'm holding this card in my hand we don't have to tell people what my the organization i work for if i'm holding a card and you can just do a uh we could just literally do a uh an insert of you shooting the card in my hand come cut back to my face or cut back to her face we are boom the audience knows exactly who i work for we don't we, so we can cut that line or cut those three lines explaining them who i work for we just get right to it the ideas will come 
when, you know, sort of like for me, like when, when we're in it, when we're in the mix, you know, a lot faster, you know, I still get ideas when I'm reading the script, but, right. you know, but for like for Dom, she's so academic. Um, I mean, she was a valedictorian in school, in high school. Like Dang, she's so, I didn't know that. No, Dom is like brilliant. Wow. And the way she breaks down scripts, you know, um, a lot like who I'm working with right now, Daisy Edgar Jones reminds me of Dom in that way. Like me and Daisy were going over a scene the other day rehearsing um, together. And it was just she and I, and we was talking to, to this gentleman, Kevin, who's actually, you know, meteorologist here and, uh, and working with us in Oklahoma on this, on this movie to make sure that we get all the facts right. Everything we're saying is correct, scientifically correct. And I'm talking about, yo, this guy was saying shit to her on the, on the phone and she was writing at a lightning speed <laughs> pace. I was like, yo, Catching how everything. the f- is she doing everything? Everything, yo. And I like, as you know, I told her on set two days ago when we were together, I was like, yo, I just want to let you know that I was in awe of your <laughs> artistry and brilliance the other day. I just wanted to say that out loud to you. That's hilarious. But, you know, when you're working with actors like that, you know, it's it, it makes the job um, a lot easier and more exciting, too, because, you know, you know that you, you're in it with, you know, someone who's bringing just as good, if not better ideas as you. That's facts. That's facts. It reminds me of sports, like where if you you got a teammate that's like, yeah. you see them holding up the squad, you're like, all right, let me get in my bag and start to figure out how I can help. And you mentioned, mentioned Daisy Edgar Jones. You uh, also, Glenn Powell is in your upcoming Twister sequel. And I saw that fans, like when they see y'all filming, fans is taking photos like, oh my God, I saw Anthony Ramos at the cafe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what is that like when you're filming a movie? Like, are people like watching the whole scenes? Are they recording like, cause oh, fans man. recognize you. They stay all day. Some, some. <laughs> some will stay all day. Like there what? was, there were these two women that sat at the cafe across the street the whole day. We, sh- we shot for 13 hours and they were there all 13. What? And then what, what happens if they're filming like spoiler alerts? Like what's going on? I mean, you know, security <laughs> will go across the street and be like, yo, can you, you know, stop recording and shit. But I mean, they can't, you know, you, you really don't know what's going on unless you can hear what's happening. Got you know, you. They, they can't really, you know, we were shooting in this coffee shop. Literally, it's just videos of two people sitting in the coffee shop shooting something. But you don't know what they didn't know For what, we, what we're shooting. For 13 hours in the coffee shop. She out there, dedicated. Like, she was sweet, though. You know, she was like, yeah, can you ask me to come across the street, take a picture, you know, take a video for her daughter and stuff. You know, pe- people are usually really nice. You know what I'm saying? They're just fans of movies and, you know, fans of the work, you know, so no, it's, it's, definitely. it's, you know, it's, it's sweet, man. It's nice. But I mean, the fans are really, I mean, cause sports and entertainment, we're a sports and entertainment podcast. So we like cover both sides. Cause I feel like they're so synonymous. Like I played in the WNBA 11 years, but now that I'm on the other side, I can see that it's synonymous. And even like, we got to hit up the Hamilton fans because you're iconic for that. Like, I mean, I'm a huge fan of I can't uh, of Hamilton, but do fans ever come up to you and start singing your bars like, "My name is Philip, I am a poet." <laughs> nah, <laughs> I love this nah, yo, that's hilarious. <laughs> nah, it happens. It happens less uh, now, but for sure, the first like three years after I left the show, probably from like 2017 to about 2020. You know, but I think the pandemic, you know, the movie coming out kind of gave it a resurgence. So I think it kind of died down the last like year, actually. So, you know, the movie gave people that extra battery in the back. They were like, now, now, now that then that started happening a little more, a little more. But but nah, it don't really happen that much. But but uh, but it's cool. It's cool to know that, 
you know, a lot of people were moved by by that that show, you know. Definitely. Definitely. And okay, I told you like we're sports and entertainment. And I got to ask because I found out that you are an athlete too. You were on track to play NCAA men's baseball. Yeah, like that. it was D3 though. It wasn't, I'm not going to go on here and be like oh, nothing crazy. Listen. Like, yo, I was D1, all state, all country. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, nah. So you was going to go D3. Okay, let's even say D3 because like, look, I got to a pitch. son right now that people want a, a scholarship in general. Like you saying D3, like, but D3 is D3. Everybody ain't getting three D3. But what made you choose? Like, I know it wasn't the top level of baseball, but was it just the passion that you had more for the entertainment space? Or was it just like you thought, man, I can go farther in entertainment. That's where I'm rolling. Nah, nah. I mean, honestly, what happened was the two schools I was considering, every application got withdrawn because I didn't, I didn't um, get my financial aid form in in time, the FAFSA sheet, you know, the, the form you got to fill out for how much financial aid you're going to get or how much you qualify for. So because I didn't get that form in, you know, we were going through, we was going through a lot at the time and we missed the deadline and, and basically acting was like, it was almost like this one school was the last resort. I was just uh, telling, talking to, uh, had a meeting about to start telling the story. Like I almost went to the Navy, like, and, uh, you know, the recruiters were calling the house and shit and, um, my mom kept hanging up like he doesn't live here, you know, and shit like that, you know, like mama was like, no, baby, yeah, he's not yeah. Going. yeah, true. Like, and, you know, my high school theater teacher, you know, I started theater when I was 16 because I did. It was a ta- I thought it was a talent show. Ended up being a musical. I was like, oh, shit. she's like, well, you know, we'd love to still have you. I was like, I don't know. I don't really act like that. She was like, you should try it. So I did. Wow. And I loved it. So I just kept doing it in my junior and senior year. And this teacher, like, you know, she gave me the pamphlet to this school in New York called AMDA, this two-year school where you study musical theater or acting. I studied musical theater there. She helped me write the essays for the, for the application. She paid for the application. She sent wow. it out. She helped me with the audition material along with another teacher named Ms. H, Ms. Hong Violette, who was my Shakespeare teacher at the time in school. Um, you know, I, I couldn't afford the school. Then Sarah, the director, she wrote a, a letter to Jerry Seinfeld Scholarship Foundation at the time. And I just told them my story. And they were like, you know, I was just like, look, I need a chance. You know, I just need somebody to take a chance on me. And then basically, you know, I left. My grades weren't that good, but they called me a couple of days later. Like, yo, you know, we decided to give you the scholarship for any school you want to go to for four years. And what? yeah, it was crazy. Like I got into AMDA, couldn't afford it. You know, so it was... Every, all this stuff was happening, you know, back to back. These like miracles happening for me, um, you know, consecutively. It was like a blessing, you know, and it was Crazy. like life kept showing me that, you know, I felt like it was God showing me like, yo, this is this is where you're supposed to be. And, and you know, I think in that in those moments, um, especially when I got that scholarship, I was like, All right, I think the baseball thing is, is that's a dub. I'm done. up next we continue our conversation with anthony ramos you posted the other day that you took a DNA genealogy test and found that you are the great, your great grandfather was a king. So listen, you talk about ordering your steps. I mean, you are the descendant of a king. Like there were nine, I think nine kings in the Wanche tribe 
in the Canary Islands uh, before the, the islands were taken by the Spanish. And my 16th removed great-grandfather was one of the nine kings. I couldn't believe it. Like, I was like, yo, what? I couldn't, like... It's like Dr. Henry Gates is sitting in front of me like, how does it feel knowing that you are the descendant of a king? I was like, what? <laughs> like, what? Like, how do you even answer that? Like, <laughs> also, what was hilarious was when, when, we start, when we started the interview, you know, he started that show, Finding Your Roots. It was only for like African-American actors or anybody of, you know, you know African descent, things like that, right? And then in the third season, kind of opened it up to people of all races, but he made me laugh when he said, before we started, he's like, Oh, I'm about to blow your mind, young man. He said, I'm about to tell you how black you are. <laughs> no. And I started cracking up. <laughs> so what was he meaning? Like, what did he mean in, in specific with that? Like, you know, they do percentages of like, I'm 40% gotcha. uh, white Spanish, then 34% African. Like my family's blood traces back to Congo and Ghana and, uh, you know, Nigeria, like all, all throughout Africa. And then uh, 17% indigenous, you know, uh, some being from the Guanche people, the Guanches, you know, from the Canary Islands, and then some Tainos from Puerto Rico, the native people in Puerto Rico. So it was just crazy, like, finding out all the, you know, like my great-great-grandmother was like this African woman named Rosa Ali, who in the African slave trade, for whatever reason, the Spanish people kept their documents, whatever, the Amer in America, in the in North America, uh, specifically in the United States, all all these people who were who were brought from Africa, their documents were thrown away. It was almost like they didn't e exist, right? But for whatever reason, the Spanish kept all the documents. Hmm. So it was like not only was was my great grandmother a slave um, to this gentleman in uh, in Puerto Rico. That's how my whole family got to Bayamón. I mean, I could talk about this all day. It was crazy. This dude was blowing but my mind. But isn't it crazy, though? Because I'm listening, like, you telling a story. I'm like, okay, and so then what? But that's, it's crazy to know your heritage like that was really crazy. But then it's also crazy to see, like, your great-great-grandfather probably wouldn't be surprised looking at you sitting right here is what I would, I mean, I'm just being real. It's like, when you start to learn things, it's sometimes it just makes things make sense. And so I'm just saying, like, I feel like, you had that moment because you just said like it was like my life was telling me something and God was telling me something. And then I'm like, shoot, you found out you were a descendant of a king. Like, come on. Right, now. right, right. Unbelievable. So it also makes me think about, too, like I talked about you're a singer, songwriter, and you have all kinds of different things going on. You have a new song that came out. Vijano, yeah, I believe, which, which really literally means villain in Spanish, and it has a reggaeton vibe. So, what's the story behind the song? The inspiration to your music, like you, multifaceted. You know, I wrote this song. Uh, I wrote this song probably a year ago or something like that. It was a while back. I wrote this song, but it was fresh off of. Uh, you know, I had a breakup, and you know, everybody thought it was because of one thing, and it wasn't. And um, you know, I hadn't said anything about it, and I. And I was just like, you know what? The only place I'm going to talk about this is in my music and how this feels and the transition of of what it feels like coming out of this relationship and how I felt all the way through to how I feel now. You know, that the, the project is not finished. I mean, the first two songs come out. One comes out in June. The other one comes out in July. But, you know, it, it was basically this journey of like that initial feeling and then people's opinions about you. And then what you think about yourself all the way through to now where, I, where I'm at now, you know, and the work that it still takes for me to 
um, you know, heal from that process and for me to find myself after, you know, having a, a fucking crazy experience like the one I had. It was a pretty intense time in my life. So I think now these songs are just how I feel about how I felt. I don't feel how I felt when I wrote Viano. I don't feel that way anymore. But in that moment, that's, you know, that's how I felt about myself or that's how it was crazy. And then, uh, you know, uh, but but um, but I'm super excited to finally get these songs out because, you know, and then start to write new ones about where I'm at now. And that's what I was going to say, like, because I mean, right now you're doing Twister. And is there something that like if it happens in your life, do you like, man, I got to get the pen. I got to write this moment out, even if you're busy on another project. Like, do you make sure that you write out your emotion in the moment? Do you get what I'm saying? Because like right now you don't feel the same way you felt when you wrote the song, but you're, you wrote it in that emotion. So you got the raw and we got the exact energy. Do you have to do that live or can you go back and tap into that energy? It just depends. Like for example, right. Viano, I wrote months, almost maybe a year after the breakup even happened. So I had to tap back into that feeling. Gotcha. Maybe like it was, it was months after, you know, but it was like, I was sitting in the studio and I was like, yo, I still haven't written about this specific feeling that I had. You know, and, 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 and then I got in the booth and the juice started flowing, you know, and then I'm really spitting. Now I was, you know, I had a whole different second verse um, that was even more raw and it was a little but but I felt like the second verse was uh, wasn't really getting to the point of what I wanted to say in the song. So I, I rewrote that second verse twice, actually. Wow. And finally, we got one that that got again like like we said straight to the point like the other two second verses were like 16 bars then this one's just eight mm. and i feel like this one is way more succinct and to the point than the other two that were written that were actually raps they weren't even so i was saying way more so you almost made it a little lighter to make sure that it you know like so what like what did you change when you went straight to it from 16 to 8 what changed in that in that transformation 16 to 8 you said you got right to it it was almost like I was saying before, right? Dancing around the point. I was dancing around it. You know, you can find clever lyrics to say that that sound cool, you know, to st- dance around the point. But the point was, is that like, this is what y'all said I was and this is who I know I am. Got you. You know, and how do I say that? And you know what? Let's shorten this verse and just say that shit in eight bars. Got the you. same amount of time it took us to do the first verse. Let's do the second verse with the same amount of bars and just get to the get to the point and we did i just started flowing and just came out um you know and i I changed that verse recently a few months ago you know because i I just kept bumping up against the second verse and i was like this is hard but it's not it doesn't feel like what i want to say in this song it doesn't feel like what i'm trying to say the message i'm trying to get out in this in this track you know what i'm saying and you know finally i think you know we landed on it you know, man, no, I can just you basically got to put your emotions in a song and then even show the world your emotions. So I can understand how like getting that right could be a meticulous task. We are excited about the new movies that's, that's about to come out. Transformers Rise of the Beast out on June 9th. Anthony Ramos, man, I appreciate you coming through. You, This is a home for you. You're always welcome here. I appreciate you, man, coming through to MoCo. No, thank you. Thanks for having me. This, this was super fun. Y'all. I appreciate it. Man, I love talking to people that are at the highest level of their profession because 
When you've reached the highest level that your job can offer, where you're the lead actor of a blockbuster film that's also part of an iconic franchise like Transformers, it's like you 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 made it. Like I know that people don't like to say that they made it while they're still in it, but you made it. And being a pro athlete, I like to pick their brain to see like, oh, how do they do it? You know, he talked about Dominique Fishback where she constantly is studying and she constantly does notes, but he's a more filler out that's just like athletes we all have our thing but your thing is your thing and that's what makes you special we'll see y'all next week where it's a generational thing